Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode 50 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalists Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. I can't believe we've turned 50. I know. We do celebrate every tiny milestone. (laughs) It's all hot flashes from here, I think. Hot flashes or hot flushes? Hot flushes. Thank you so much to everyone who has listened. Uh, We had a record-breaking episode last week and it tipped us over into the 2 million downloads mark, which is pretty special awesome great we're really happy peaked at number three on itunes as well so thank you so much to everyone who's downloaded and listened and here's to the next two mil we had a huge response to last week's episode it was definitely our biggest yet actually a real kind of mixed bag of responses which we found really interesting i had about 400 instagram direct messages i tried to reply to every single one but apologies if i dropped the ball but we're so so grateful for all your messages Mm. um it really was brilliant to receive them all a little disclaimer as both dolly and i have been lambasted lambasted or lambasted i don't know i'm not sure i've never known okay well let's stick with lambasted and then i'm sure we'll find out via the inbox that i'm wrong uh we've been a little lambasted shall we say for not replying to messages this week we are no longer able to reply to all emails and direct messages about the Hilo. As we may have mentioned before, the Hilo is a two-man show. Producer Charlie does our levels and our edits because he is a G who also bought me flowers last week as a welcome baby present. And he introduced himself to Zadie by saying CJ Productions. Charlie Jones Productions. <laughs> But CJ does not edit us. We don't have story producers or researchers or editorial assistants or sub-editors. And both of us are pretty busy with other things. Dolly with her book, me with my baby, which makes it impossible for us to work on the high-low every day. Please don't be cross with us if we do not reply to you. We have enough guilt in our lives, to be frank. We don't want to start resenting the podcast. Yeah, as Panda says, I also want to talk about, just very briefly, and I really hope this doesn't sound offensive because we're not annoyed about this at all. It's just something that we want to flag generally about us and about our general kind of culture of consuming other people's content. We will get things wrong sometimes. Um, And we also sometimes will probably have not had the time or the wherewithal to look at every single experience or side of the story or opinion piece or counter argument for every single recommendation or uh, every single topic that we discuss as I say this is really not me trying to tick anyone off this week has been a real reminder to me as well that I think we just need to all take it a little bit easier on each other Pandora and I have been really on a journey in creating this podcast and learning what it is to try and kind of Put your ego out of the room when people correct or enlighten you or enrich your knowledge on something and to realise that that isn't a sign of us being stupid or ignorant and really enjoy that process. And I've learned so much about what true discussion and empathy and openness means. 
and we're bang up for learning more. Seriously, please always do get in touch and, and offer those counter arguments and corrections and your own personal experiences because that is the lifeblood of this podcast. But can we find a way, please, of framing it that isn't just telling us we're idiots for getting a piece of information wrong or telling us that we're not good journalists because we haven't read articles on every single book or film that we recommend or uh, sending us emails saying that you're disappointed in us or we've let you down because we haven't replied to your email asking us to give a shout out to your project. As Panda mentioned, for various reasons, we're both respectively at quite challenging moments in our life and that's not your concern. Understandably, everyone has challenging moments in their life and it's our choice to put a podcast out there. But it can be a little overwhelming sometimes to have to deal with a stream of anger or shaming on top of actually putting the show together as well as our other work stuff and as well as our life stuff going on. And I've got to say, it did wear me down a little bit this week. That's an Oscar-worthy speech. (laughs) Dolly Hannah Alderton. Uh, That said, we always love receiving your emails. We do read every single one. We got masses about the Ulster rape case, which were genuinely so educational. A few people noticed that a couple of times without realising we said Ireland instead of Northern Ireland, which is obviously part of the UK. This is absolutely wrong. And we refer you back to the lack of sub-editor. So we will try and be more vigilant as this is obviously hugely important um, geographically and politically and historically. So thank you for flagging that up. I also must apologise because I made the erroneous claim based on what someone had told me and I did not fact check that juries are chosen rather than assembled randomly. They absolutely are random in the UK. They are not in the US. We received some really helpful, kind and non-judgmental, thank you, always our favourite kind of emails to receive, from three criminal barristers explaining to us a little bit about the judicial system in the UK. I just wanted to share some of them in case, like us, you're actually not that clued up on, on juries and the judicial system. This first one, we'll keep it anonymous just on the off chance that you would rather not have your names be shared. The UK's judicial system is an interesting academic question that us lawyers sometimes try and fail to rationalise. For instance, we cannot object to an all-white jury trying a black defendant. We cannot seek to have a religiously diverse jury for a trial of religiously aggravated harassment. I cannot exclude having 12 pension-aged, middle-class-looking jurors for a trial of a 19-year-old charged with possession of cannabis with intent to supply. The jury system is flawed, but the alternative of an American-style jury selection is so counter to our notion of fairness and justice, which is why juries remain the cornerstone of our justice system. Yes, juries can get it wrong, miscarriages of justice do happen, but it is the best system that exists to uphold the rule of law in a democratic society. The particular case that you discuss has created a huge amount of press and opinion pieces similar to the Ched Evans case and appeal. Unfortunately, those of us who were not present at the trial and did not hear the evidence should be cautious when opining on whether the verdicts were right or wrong. That's a really good point. Here's another really useful one. Here's an excerpt that we found particularly interesting that we wanted to share on the victim being on trial, which is an accusation levelled at the Ulster rape case. The criticism that rape victims think they're the ones on trial is problematic. We have an adversarial legal system which is very different to, say, France, which is inquisitorial. Adversarial means that we put the two sides against each other and let them fight it out. This is true in every crime. Plainly, this kind of attack is much more emotive and horrifying in the context of rape, but it's wrong to present this as some kind of unique circumstance that women are forced to endure. The prosecution has to prove the case against the defendant beyond reasonable doubt. This is 
because we as a society have decided that we would rather run the risk of guilty people walking free than innocent people being imprisoned. Remember that whilst we feel horror at the trauma of being a rape victim in court, we also feel horror when it turns out that someone has been wrongly convicted of, say, murder. The trial system has to protect the rights of all defendants because some defendants in some cases are innocent. So when people say things need to change in rape trials, I'm never sure what this means unless the complainant is no longer challenged in court, in which case we might as well do away with the trial system altogether and lock people up as soon as an allegation is made. Or if the defendant maintains his innocence, she will be cross-examined about her account. It must be a horrifying experience, but unless we abolish our entire justice system and start again from scratch, those are the parameters in which we work. It's a really good point. And it is really, I think, really important to to look at that without the emotion. We definitely, when we were talking about it last week, for obvious reasons, you know, are we were driven by an emotional response. Yeah. But what these barristers are reminding us is that that is the legal system within which we operate. And I do think it sounds a lot better than the American judicial system. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 those societal constructs really within which you have to you have to look at it. Lastly, another really interesting but also pretty depressing email was from a woman named Megan who is in Belfast right now and wanted to tell us what the atmosphere was like on the ground, as it were. To paint you a picture, Belfast is a small place. Everyone was talking about the trial. Girls, boys, parents, grandparents, everyone. The trial was on the local news every night. There were horrible rumours and slut-shaming about the girl being passed around and speculation about what kind of person she was. The most widely held view was the worst part about it. Almost everyone I spoke to essentially said that she was asking for it. There was a total lack of understanding of what constitutes rape and that it can happen to anyone, from a nun to a prostitute and everyone in between. Now, obviously, if you're from Belfast, we are not suggesting that this opinion is unanimous, but I think it is interesting to hear from Megan that we assume that most people would be up in arms about Mm, it. Mm. Um, We are a very particular demographic, Dolly Mm. and I, and unfortunately the case is still that that misogyny and victim blaming runs really deep, societally speaking. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and also your wisdom so that we can make sure we are armed with the correct knowledge for another time. On to lighter things, Pandy. (laughs) What have you been up to this week? You know what I've mainly been up to, Dolly. This week, I have mainly been explaining to you who Cardi B is. Or Cardigan B, as Dolly keeps calling <laughs> That is her full Christian name, is Cardigan B. <laughs> Cardigan Jumper B. I still don't know who she is. If, like Dolly, you do not know who Cardi B is, Katie Weaver has just done a brilliant interview with her for US GQ. I'll share it in the show notes. Is I... she a rapper? Cardi B, yes. She's right. a rapper and a pop culture phenomenon. She's got something like 21 million Instagram followers. How long has she been famous for? Only since last summer. Right. But the hilarious thing about you still not knowing who Cardigan Jumper B is, is that you are being deliberately resistant because I have sent you information <laughs> explaining who she is and you are just dogmatically digging your OAP heels in, refusing to understand. This all started because Pandora Instead, said... Instead you find it fun to go, is it a fitness first class? Pandora said, we need to talk about Cardi B or something. And I said... I said it as a joke. I said, what's a Cardi B? <laughs> it sounds like a fitness and first class. And it does sound class. like a fitness and first class. And it went class. from there. But since we had this discussion, have you noticed that she's everywhere or are you still I have noticed she's everywhere okay so now. you're not still doing I wonder what I thought everyone was talking about before I think you knitwear just... you, you, you have a spectacular ability to block things out <laughs> 
Anyway, I pretended that I was a high-low listener this week and I listened to all of your recommendations. I listened to Matt Smith and Anne-Marie Duff on Desert Island Discs. Loved them both. Loved them both as people. I listened to Dawn French on Fern Cotton's podcast, Happy Place. I did really love the bit where Dawn talks about skimming life and age being something that allows you to actually pause, enjoy and Mm. be a bit more selective with this time because I'm definitely guilty sometimes of just trying to skim every article, every podcast. So I found that bit really meaningful actually Mm. and it was very uh, emotional hearing them talk about growing up and just slowing down and not getting FOMO and stuff like that. Yeah, I liked, I found that reassuring, them talking about the lack of FOMO as you get older. Yeah, you do find that more and more as you get older. Other things I've been enjoying this week, I read a piece on The Debrief which tied in nicely to last week's discussion on reality television and when I mentioned how acceptable I found the hyper-masculinity on TOWIE. This piece on the debrief revealed that Women's Aid have apparently called for the producers to hold the male castmates to task and also to be really cognizant of what they are putting on TV. So obviously there's been a real backlash to that behaviour. What do you think, Dolly? Does structured reality have a responsibility in what they air? I've had a bit of a think the last week and I'm slightly regretful that I didn't say this at the time in the last episode. And this is not me being defensive because I used to work in this genre. I think that the producers, in fact, I know the producers and the people who work behind these shows, show these moments of behaviour because they feel that is taking them to task. They don't feel like it's glorifying Ah. them. So what they do is they lay out the material in order for life to sort of hold them to account well exactly because you know as much as people like to tell me over and over and over and over again that it's not real it is fucking real you know i worked in those shows for two years three years it's definitely real when they all walk into the same green juice bar at the same time isn't it (laughs) but that they're trying i know they're reflecting reality and the reality is those are the way that those men often talk to women so i think i think it's a little unfair to say that it's glorify it's producers glorifying it because there is a fine line i know between the 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 layer of being able to say let's judge these people for who they are and and expose them for who they are and also let's make icons of them for this i understand that it's confused but i i think that the truth is powerful it's interesting i didn't read it like that i more read it as do you think by showing it on this hugely popular tv show that it's endorsing it uh, that you know some 2018 year old boy will think that that's how he can speak to his girlfriend because he's seen you know lads on tv doing it i think it's a really i I don't think there's an answer is there it's a moral maze it is a moral maze my favorite article of last week was an interview with jacinda arden in the sunday times magazine by helena de bertadano jacinda arden is the 37 year old prime minister of new zealand for those of you that don't know who's been causing international chatter because she is the second ever woman to give birth whilst in office the first was Benazir Bhutto she is going to take six weeks leave and then her husband will take over as primary caregiver it was a hugely interesting article not just from a feminist point of view but also to learn more about her challenge as prime minister of New Zealand so I don't know very much about New Zealand you just think Lord of the Rings very beautiful Mm. I've been to New Zealand and I still think Lord of the Rings very beautiful but did you know that New Zealand has the biggest youth suicide rates in the world Really? Or that one third of children live below the poverty line. One thing that I did find really depressing is the commentary on the Times website. 
online underneath this article, which were written completely without irony or satire. One said that she should pass the roll over to a man until her mothering duties are done in about 20 years. Do you know what though? The Times, not the freaking Daily uh, Mail. No, the Times is is those comments can be very um, conservative. I listened to a host of brilliant women's hour podcasts in the last week, so I didn't realise. I know I'm probably very behind that women's hour podcasts aren't just you know the Monday through Friday shows um, with Jane Garvey or Jenny Murray. There's also like tiny ones that are released mm. as like extra 15 minute podcasts. Mm. So I was listening to one called Bump, Birth and Beyond, which is a series of 15-minute podcasts. And the one that I listened to was for women who had just given birth. And I cried at every single birth story for obvious reasons. And there was another really good one with the TV presenter, Alex Jones, who returned to work when her son was three months old. And she was really honest about saying, you know, I didn't want someone else to take my job. I've worked really hard and my career is incredibly important to me. And I definitely returned to work a bit soon because I was so desperate not to lose everything I'd worked for. So again, for obvious reasons, that was something I found really interesting. And I'm really glad she spoke about that. We will link those in the show notes. In my issue of the New Yorker this week, thank you, Dolly, for my subscription. Pleasure. I read a piece on Chinese workers in Tuscany. I found this so interesting because you never imagine, as the magazine says, that when you read the coveted Made in Tuscany label on a piece of you know, luxury fashion, that it is still being made by immigrant Chinese workers. And the irony is that much of this luxury fashion is then sold back to wealthy customers in Shanghai or Beijing, as a lot of Western fashion labels so like Gucci in Beijing. It's, it's the prestige of just that that label saying made in Tuscany. Made in Tuscany, yeah. Because, and if you think about it, when you look at where something's made, if it says made in Taiwan or made in China, you, you make a sort of snap judgment of, oh, okay, not great. But if you read made in Italy, you just think, great. It's just that instinctual... Yeah. And I, I think it's very clever and yeah. so worrying yeah. that yeah. they've made a way to get past that and have the Made in Tuscany label. Anyway, it was just brilliant. Um, And that's a very interesting article, regardless of whether or not you're interested in the fashion industry. Lastly, I read a proof copy of The Mumsition. I'm sorry to anyone who is bored of my new mum content. I'm not going to make talking about motherhood a habit or even a regular part of this podcast. You can talk about whatever the fuck you want. Well, as my daughter isn't even six weeks old yet, it's still fairly novel to me. And I'm also a born bookworm, so naturally motherhood has extended into my reading repertoire, my my new role as a parent. The Mums Edition is not out yet, but if you are a mum and you use the app Mush, which is the UK's fastest growing parenting app apparently, then this is one for you because it's written by Mush's two founders and Mush's editor, Isabel Moen. It was very funny and relatable and I nodded along constantly. So look out for Mush when it comes out. What about you, Dolly? What have you enjoyed this week? Do you know, I would like to say thank you to the listener who pointed us in the direction of a piece called Kim Noble, The Woman with a Hundred Personalities. And it was in response to your piece that you talked about in the last episode about the woman who lives in, in a fugue state. Oh, is this, yeah, so this is the woman with trillions of disassociative yes. personalities. Yes, so it's, um, we'll link the piece in the show notes because it's actually from 2011, but it's a really, really interesting and compassionate and, and thoughtfully put together profile of this woman who lives with a hundred different personalities up to a hundred different personalities exhausting that must be so it's called dissociative identity disorder Mm -hmm. and the thing that's 
sad about it that I didn't realise because I was so new to it is that she constructed, not consciously, but her brain constructed a number of different personalities to protect and save her from a huge amount of trauma in her childhood. I knew you were going to say that. It's yeah. so common, isn't it? Yeah. As in, not disassociative personalities are not common, but it is very, very often the case from what I've read mm. that it is, as you say, it's a safeguard. Yeah, and she said that she... And she has a daughter, which is another really interesting thing, that she talks about the experience of, of raising this girl who they interview her and she seems very well adjusted and she has a great relationship with her mum and very high achieving. And she, what she said is bizarre is that there are certain people that make up this woman, certain personalities who are more at the forefront when it comes to parenting and she said that once she is in the mind of one person she loses all memory when she switches into the next one so she said she her whole life is spent literally being in the doctor's waiting room and suddenly juddering into a new personality and having no idea why she's there or what she's just done or where she parked the car is there one personality that is more prominent than the others? Is there one Kim Noble who is more Kim Noble than the others? Yes, they've when all got she different clicks, names, yeah. Is there one that when it clicks in, the daughter thinks, that's mum? Or is it just so fragmented? She said that there are certain... She calls it, I can't remember the word, but it's kind of like a collective ensemble of, of the group of people. And she said that... Some, interesting parenting by ensemble. The daughter said that some of the people now that she's hitting adolescence come more to the forefront and it's more about kind of warmth and chattiness and and being more kind of teenagery so the sort of responds to the daughter's needs in yeah. in a kind of really um unconventional complicated yeah. way yeah it's a very very good piece from the guardian and the journalist who wrote it i think really took the time to make sure that this woman was understood rather than being painted as a, a sort of terrifying freak, which I think would be very easy to sensationalise. It's really good. So thank you so much. I would never have found that piece had it no, not been flagged to me. So thank, thank you, you, listener. I also read this piece that I just loved, which is Lauren Bravo, who is just one of the funniest journalists around, I think. I just always love her articles and she wrote a piece for the pool on small plates and the trend for eating small plates in restaurants and how it's infuriating and she wrote <laughs> a very funny piece for it of which I'd like to read an extract I've endured all the stomach-based confusion mentally piecing together all the bits of things you've eaten like Tetris to try to work out if you're feeling very very full or actually still slightly peckish I've nodded cheerfully every time an earnest wait has explained that the dishes will all come out at, like, different times, instead of the reasonable response, which would be TL, could they not, please? And I've smiled serenely at the result, a plate of roast potatoes turning up ten minutes after the rest of the food is finished. Oh, lovely, the potatoes we forgot we ordered, I've said, believing I meant it. What a nice surprise. If you have a main meal, you know when your food is done. Yeah. But if you've got endless plates turning up, how 
do you know when you've had enough potatoes? Yeah, exactly. It is is very annoying that suddenly in 2018 it's become impossible for food to arrive at the same time. How have we gone so backwards in culinary? I think it's the trend, and I see it with the way that food is plated up in restaurants. I think it's the the no reservations thing. I think there's this trend that restaurants have that I think it's more like we are so mega relaxed at this place. I think it's the informality of eating out, which again arguably is quite dangerous because it lulls you into a full sense of it being perfectly normal to go and spend 50 pounds exactly exactly it's not very it's not very chic to want to go somewhere formal and smart where god forbid all the plates come at the same time time and you ring and book a week before (laughs) so yeah i just love lauren bravo's writing do go and read all her stuff on the pool and i love all the food writing that she does and that was a very funny piece i also read and loved laura pullman who is a brilliant journalist from News Review, Sunday Times News Review. She interviewed James Martin for the Sunday Times. And it's just as a journalist, you just salivate over these interviews that don't happen that often because everything's normally whipped up in so much PR fluff. He's just an absolute tosser. Is he? Is he the cook? <laughs> yeah, he's the cook. He's What's the he on again? brunch. Ah, oh, of course. I yeah. quite like him on that. Oh, he's so grumpy and rude to her. And Laura just writes it up brilliantly yeah, it had me good. in hysterics it's a really good piece okay I'm gonna that. go I must have missed that I'm gonna go back and find that I've also been reading Ruby Wax's memoir which is called How Do You Want Me and I am reading it because I listened to her Desert Island Discs snore um, as in not snore they're brilliant as in I'm a bore because all I do is talk about Desert Island Discs and the way she looks at the world I find so fascinating I think she's such an enlightened person she's done so much research into the way humans work and who we are and I've read her more recent books about mindfulness and I just wanted to go back and read the kind of story of her life and she's she's had the most eccentric and bizarre childhood And the way that she writes about it in this memoir is extraordinary. And again, I'd like to just read a paragraph that she she says on page two that I think is just beautiful writing. My philosophy, who you are in the playground is exactly who you will be at the end of your life unless something cataclysmic happens to you or you make a supreme effort to change your story. But it must be supreme. How are these parts cast? I don't know. All I know is I just showed up one day at recess, was handed a script and assigned my character. Who cast me in this role? Was it the stars or in the DNA? Or is there some natural selection going on like in the animal kingdom? Who do they recognise head of the herd? The one with the longest tusks? The buffalo with the biggest balls? Who's the natural born joker in the cow pack? Which heifer is going to make Vegas? God, I'm trying to think what I was like in the playground and do I want to be that character for the rest of my life? Interesting stuff to think about, isn't it? I think I was probably sort of loud and baity. I'm not sure if I want to be. Well, we've got loud. We've, I know is inescapable, but I'm not sure I want to be baity. I've arranged for Nikki Sykes to come on today as our author special to reveal no. <laughs> and from one mad rambling to another, I've been sending Pandora a lot of voice notes this week. Is anyone else obsessed with voice notes? I think God, there's a piece in this. There is. I've there already is thought about voice it. Voice notes. It's because we're so lazy. It's because we're so lazy. I just can't be bothered to type You anymore. are next level obsessed. And you split them up as well. I think you're so worried that I'll tune out. I do. Two I minute do mark worry that. That you, that you do a topic per note. But I, the other night, I had... Should we make a mixtape of them? I'll let Charlie have a little play around with some of the notes that I sent Pandora. And I, the, the wheels were pretty well oiled. 
<laughs> on Dolly's part, may I add. I'd had a bit of a stressful afternoon and uh, I'd hit the wine while I was um, writing a piece, which turned out fine. <laughs> so uh, for a bit of fun, we thought we'd include that here. That's the sound of me pouring more wine. All the sound effects tonight. I'm a shit journalist anyway, so who fucking cares? It's not... It's not gonna... What's the word I'm looking for? Not negotiate. Substantiate. Whatever. My journalistic integrity. Oh, I wish you were here, Pandy. I have a glass of wine. And I have a whole bottle waiting for you. And, uh... I love you. Very much. If anyone has anything interesting to say about voice notes, please do let us know, because they are definitely... They're, they're the new the new zeitgeist, aren't they? They're happening. They're happening. Yeah. <laughs> What's been happening in the Hilo's inbox this week, Dolly? Two fun emails I wanted to flag. The first is from George Bartlett. Subject, does my dog look like Jilly Cooper? Your dog does look like Jilly Cooper, And George. we will post that on the Hilo's Twitter. It's a spaniel, and there's something about this spaniel's profile that looks a lot like Jilly Cooper. Yeah, very Gloucestershire, very privileged. <laughs> We also got an email from a woman. Well, we don't know, actually. Presumptuous. You're just presuming because she calls herself Belle. Or Belly. She calls herself Bell Button. <laughs> she said hi and then just wrote a series of questions that she wanted answered on the high-low about our respective and collective belly buttons. She asked, do you have an innie, in-betweeny or outy belly button? Do you have your belly button pierced? Do you have omphalophobia, the fear of belly buttons. Do you have any experiences involving yours or someone else's belly button? Love, an innie belly button. Now, I thought this was so funny that I replied, not realising I was replying to her, and I meant to reply to Dolly, just going, oh my God, look at the name of this email account, do you think it's a spoof? And belly button immediately replied going, no, no spoof, just a lover of belly buttons. (laughs) So to answer your questions, I am an outie, it is not pierced, I do not have the fear of belly buttons. And my nickname was Outie at university. Was it? What about you, Dolly? Innie, no piercing, no fear and no stories, I'm afraid. If you are the hidden identity behind belly button, I am quite intrigued by you. Reveal yourself. Reveal yourself. And perhaps your navel. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hilo comes from Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From search to email to maps and beyond, it has a history of challenging the norm and finding a better way. Each week we are going to do a curiosity challenge in which Panda or I pose a question to each other, encompassing the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the philosophical to the personal to the surreal. So Pandora, my question to you this week is, do you believe in the monarchy? Ooh, I would say I'm a sort of lazy royalist. Yes, I do believe in the monarchy. I do quite like tradition. 
but I also can totally see the argument against it, you know, how much money it costs. So I would say that they should be held to account in terms of where we are at with, you know, modern society. Yeah. And they should be as reflective of that of that as possible. And I would say in the last year, we've really come on leaps and bounds in that. The way that Prince William and Harry have spoken about mental health and their mother, I think has been incredibly relatable and has done wonders not only for the way the royal family is perceived, but also for mental health. Mm. What about you? It's not my turn. Okay. Google Pixel 2's got a camera. So good, it takes beautiful photos in any light. And with unlimited storage, you can capture every detail and access all your photos for free from any device. Thank you very much to the Google Pixel 2. It's now time for the top line, read by Dolly, Hannah, all the time. Amazon have filed a US patent for a voice sniffing system which would allow Alexa to eavesdrop on conversations and whisper shopping suggestions. Privacy campaigners have raised concerns. More than 80 people were killed in a suspected chemical attack in northwestern Syria last week. The nerve agent strike is suspected by the West to be a Syrian government airstrike on the area. President al-Assad, however, has said that the incident was fabricated. A council in Ealing is set to be the first to create a buffer zone for anti-abortion campaigners outside an abortion clinic. The council voted in unanimous support for a public spaces protection area. The move is backed by Sadiq Khan with other boroughs councils expressing interest in replicating the idea. You can now buy a scent that smells like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding, a tradition incidentally for all royal weddings. Florist London have created a warm unisex citrus scent made of bergamot, orange blossom, ginger and green tea for the couple's wedding, which you too can buy for an as yet unpublished sum. Four pensioners in Yixing, China, are celebrating the birth of their baby granddaughter, Sweetie, four years after both her parents died in a car crash. Sweetie's grandparents spent years lobbying for access to frozen embryos, which they then smuggled over the border to Laos to a surrogate mother. We named her Sweetie because we hoped her arrival would bring sweetness to us after the bitterness, said Hu Zingxian, the maternal grandmother. Mark Zuckerberg has agreed to greater regulation of Facebook's data after huge pressure following Cambridge Analytica and Republican and Democrat senators in the US threatened state intervention. This comes in the same week that the Times investigation revealed that drug dealers are able to openly sell drugs on Facebook. Iceland is the first UK supermarket to officially cut out palm oil from all their own brand products. The high demand and mass production of palm oil has had a hugely negative impact on deforestation in Southeast Asia, having a serious knock-on effect to the environment and wildlife. A gay couple were refused entry to a Leeds bar when bouncers told them that they only let in mixed-sex couples. The men were left speechless when they were not allowed in because they were both men. The venue said it never discriminates and is investigating the incident with its externally supplied door team. Hundreds of children with missing limbs are set to benefit from a further £1.5 million investment to provide activity prosthetics such as high-tech running blades. The government has announced that the fund, which has already supported more than 200 disabled young people, will mean more children being able to use sporting prosthetics in the future. Actor and New York mayoral candidate Cynthia Nixon has said she was left devastated by the scene in Sex and the City, the movie, in which Carrie and Mr Big reconcile on account of the very large walk-in wardrobe he built her. 
It seemed to me that the show was so much about female empowerment and about women making their own choices and women standing up for what they wanted and supporting themselves, she told presenter Wendy Williams. So to me, to have this to be the climax of the film, that your very wealthy husband built you a really nice closet for your clothes, I thought, wow, that's not really what you love about the show, is it? Because that's not what we were making it for. And that was The Top Line. So many interesting things in the top line. I almost wish some of these were our topics. The story of Sweetie is heartwarming, but a bit of a moral conundrum, isn't mm. it? Cynthia Nixon, it's all very well to come out and say all this about Sataka now, isn't it? You took I the know. paychecks. You were fine with the walk-in wardrobe when you were getting paid. I feel quite sorry for SJP. Everyone seems to be coming out now and being like, it was so terrible. But at the time, they were fine with it. Yeah, and she said that she didn't see that ending until she watched it in the screening. I think sometimes that's the case. Well, maybe. I did watch an actor on, I can't remember who, some young male actor on Graham Norton the other day. And he he's in Spider-Man. And he was like, no, I haven't seen the film. And he'd never read the script. Apparently, everyone was worried that he would give away bits of it. <laughs> so he was never allowed to know anything about what he was making. So Graham Norton was like, well, um, here's your film when they showed a clip. I'm obsessed with Amazon. It's a really worrying idea. But the voice sniffing system, the idea that Alexa... They could have used a better verb than sniffing. the idea that Alexa's just going to go, John Lewis. Oh, it's horrid. (laughs) Or just that you'll be kind of chatting away with your friend. Mango. (laughs) I don't like it. I don't like it at all. So creepy. We all know that Twitter can be a pretty unforgiving place and certainly not the most democratic and encouraging place to learn. This was perhaps demonstrated most clearly this week when retired 59-year-old Welsh footballer Neville Southall tweeted his support to decriminalise sex work in a bid to keep sex workers safe, give them rights and respect. The tweet read, Every working person needs workers' rights. Unions fought for the right. So why aren't sex workers getting the same rights? Because governments pretend they don't exist. Give them the same rights. Give them respect. Give them support. I do. You can. This comes in a series of tweets from the former Everton goalkeeper in recent years in which he poses and asks questions about social justice and minorities, which inspired the hashtag Woke Neville. So this is a producer Charlie approved topic. He was quite (laughs) surprised, I think, that we were talking about a footballer. But it has a high-low twist. Neville also handed over his Twitter account and its 127,000 followers to the Swarm Sex Worker and Advocacy Resistance Movement, giving his platforms to sex workers to tweet on issues such as legal brothels, rent boys, the Swedish legal framework model for the sex industry, the police confiscating earnings, and how to stop the deportation of migrant sex workers. Neville tweeted afterwards, let me make it clear, I was not on Twitter at all during at sex work hive time. So anytime I looked like I knew stuff, it was them. Thank you to at sex work hive heart emoji. Neville has in the past also given his Twitter account over to a mental health charity for a takeover and is hoping to make the sex work hive takeover for discussions on sex workers and their rights a regular thing. So here we have a 50-something Welsh burly footballer for Everton, whose nickname is The Bin Man, making serious efforts to bring more of his demographic into a liberal understanding exactly, of yeah. you know, social happenings and issues. 
and just being like a generally awesome guy, I think, on Twitter with 127,000 followers, which is not to be sniffed at. Yeah. You'd think this is a really great thing. Well, apparently not. Well, sadly, but very predictably, not everyone lauded him for his progressive stance and his kind of curious openness. Writer Caroline Criado Perez responded... What a banal, pointless statement. Who could oppose rights? No one. What people oppose is male violence and male entitlement. She then tweeted, What I'd like to know is if by rights, what at Neville Southall means is the right for women to rent their bodies out to men by the hour, or if he means a right to live free from the kind of male sexual entitlement that results in women selling sex in the first place. Now, as we very, very, very briefly touched on last week, the subject of sex work and feminism can be a complicated one and not, I don't think, the most important part of this particular exchange. What we wanted to discuss today is the treatment of a man like Neville Southall, particularly considering his age and his background, trying to enlighten himself on these subjects of radical social change. Do you know what? These combative tweets from Caroline slightly disappoint me. She's a really well-known feminist writer and why couldn't she just connect directly with him and be like, hi, Neville, I'm kind of interested in what you're doing. Do you mind clarifying a bit? Yeah. Rather than going straight to Twitter and being like, what are you doing? What are you saying? What well, rights? Like, what she's trying to say... It's so forceful. I think what she's trying to say, which I, to be fair to, which I completely understand is, it's like it, it's like he... I think she felt like maybe he had just discovered it and what she was trying to say to him is like, it's actually very complicated okay then say it to him don't yeah. necessarily say to the world what's he doing let's embarrass him yes. also i feel yes. like there is a kind of subtext to you're a man therefore you should know that this is all about male sexual entitlement we've talked to b- before yeah. about the collective not being the individual yeah. just because he's a man doesn't mean that the tweet should be kind of particularly skewed towards the fact that of course sex work stems from a patriarchal society you know the collective and the individual are very different things it did remind me a little bit actually of Polly Vernon's column this week in Grazia where she writes about the fact that she's criticised most by other feminists she says women so convinced they were right that I am an ass that they felt entitled to destroy me to vilify me to e-shame me to call me stupid vile dangerous sick making I think and we've spoken about this a little bit before not not only in the introduction to today's episode, that we waste so much time criticising the people that are trying to discuss the problems. And they're not really the problem so much. You know, we're ignoring the, the larger problems at play. I don't really think that the issue is Neville himself discussing these issues. The issue is the issue. Yeah. You know, I know that, sorry, I know that sounds a bit like a tongue twister, but like you, Dolly, I see Neville's curiosity and openness in a public forum. Really brilliant, this big, burly Welsh footballer. Shouldn't we save our wrath and the sort of pedantries for, I don't know, a massive thing like FGM? I sound a bit like Risa Fans in Notting Hill, where he talks about people starving in the Sudan when Hugh Grant is, you know, talking about not being able to find his glasses. But whenever I read something like this, where the person trying to ultimately tackle big issues is being criticised rather than the big issues themselves. Mm. I do have a moment of, God, that makes you angry? That powers your Twitter vitriol for the day or week? Not, say, female genital mutilation? I was pretty appalled, by the way, not just Caroline, but of a lot of people reacted to him. I found it patronising and judgmental and not progressive and not intellectual and certainly not democratic. I also think it showed just an absolute mass epidemic we all suffer from in modern culture, which is this kind of know-it-allism and how many of us feel 
absolutely crippled with fear when it comes to understanding complicated issues better I will put up my hand now and say I have been Neville I am Neville this is the man who when trying to understand trans issues and rights in a sort of open thinking out loud forum like Twitter in the past he said it's a bit of a minefield I will admit there have been many times in the past when it's come to discussions of very complicated issues with lots of layers of history and theories and examples Mm -hmm. and stories and nuances but I sort of find myself just copying whatever the people around me say who seem the most correct and right yeah. on because I'm absolutely terrified of asking a stupid or obvious question or getting something wrong and someone I deem more intelligent or educated than me making me look like a total yeah. fucking moron. I think that's what these recent Neville Southall stories show over and over again is he's exhibiting an openness to understand teamed with incredibly good intentions and a want to be a better person which are all qualities that I would love to have also he's right it is a minefield it's okay to describe something as a minefield that means that it's incredibly hard to say the right thing and often it is it absolutely is and him giving his platform over to sex workers like we are told time and time again that it's people in a position of privilege. We exactly. should open up our platform to other people. And that is exactly what he was doing. He's like, not speaking on behalf of them. He is very literally opening yeah. up his Twitter platform. On a different note, I am calling you Neville from now on, Dolly. <laughs> you were such a Neville about Cardi B. Actually, you were way worse than Neville because even after I sent you her Instagram handle and that piece on her, you were still stubbornly going, I don't understand who Cardigan B is. At least Neville. <laughs> I'd love He's to absolutely allowing himself. But honestly, I strive to be... A, a person like him I, I think it's about humility which is something we're all so scared of showing I think this sort of loops back as you say to everything we were saying in my lengthy Oscar winning speech in the introduction of the podcast <laughs> when I was on the receiving end of a number of these emails to the Hilo's inbox this week telling us very angrily that we'd messed up by saying something wrong or telling us that our opinion on something was incorrect or that we weren't well read enough I rang Pandora with this amazing I didn't actually ring you I left you a voice note didn't I Uh, but it was I had this amazing sense of relief and I said to you uh, I'm not embarrassed I refuse to be embarrassed about this stuff anymore I want to learn I want to be given facts and information I want to hear counter arguments I want to hear about people's experiences who are vastly different to mine I don't mind that you can try as hard as you want it's not going to embarrass me anymore I can be keen to correct the error or change my mind without feeling deep shame and embarrassment which means that I'll never want to kind of figure stuff out conversationally again. Because that's sad, because that's the joy of learning. And we need to not lose that forum and art, I think. So I don't agree with Piers Morgan, bear with me, on a lot of things. But I do agree with him when he talks about this liberal echo chamber, whereby lots of modern liberals are incapable of entertaining debate or accepting anything that isn't absolutely right on PCdom, including curiosity or questioning around a certain topic. And it's a bit snowflakey, to be honest. It kind of reminds me a bit of during the kind of apex of Me Too, where it became really important for us to ascertain that there was a difference between listening to all women and believing all women and getting off that kind of ultra hard ground when there's 
one way or the highway. For example, when Margaret Atwood was absolutely called out for being a terrible feminist because she questioned the concept of trial by public opinion Mm -hmm. rather than trial in in a judicial court. And I think that was a really valid point for her to make. And it's a furore that I reference quite often as it really worried me that we were becoming in this time where you cannot ask questions or you are immediately sort of blacklisted from the liberal space. Yeah. Anyway, back to Nev. But it's not even him challenging anything often. It's him just wanting to understand. Yeah. Which is like, I want to understand. There's loads of stuff I want to understand. Absolutely. Former guest, journalist and friend of the Hilos, Stu Heritage, wrote the most fucking brilliant and I actually found very profound and quite moving piece about what we can learn from Neville Southall for Esquire. I thought I would read and extract a few of the paragraphs um, of my favourite bits and then Pandora had the brilliant idea that we should get dear old Stewie to just read it himself. So here he is. We shipped him in special. This is what's most impressive about Neville Southall. He refuses to rush to easy conclusions. When he's in doubt, he puts the work in. He asks questions. He consults experts. He doesn't always immediately land in the right place, but he's determined to get there one way or another. His intentions are relentlessly noble. We don't love triers. We expect our allies to fall from the sky fully formed, with all their views and credentials completely aligned to our own. If they fall slightly short, say, because they're trying to figure something out on their own then we leap on them for not being as virtuous as we clearly are. It's a tedious and predictable reaction, designed to crush conversation. Southall has had so many opportunities to change direction, to cultivate enemies and tweet bitterly about haters, and yet he hasn't. He's still in search of something, and nothing can sway him from stumbling along the path at his own pace. The man is a credit to us all. I'd be proud to grow up like him. I won't grow up like him, because that's way too much effort. But I'd be proud if I did. I can't help but conflate Neville with Neville Longbottom of Harry Potter, by the way. Is anyone else feeling that? Tweet me if you are. <laughs> That's uh, very useful. I think <laughs> it, was a, it was a useful <laughs> contribution to this argument, wasn't it? Um, I think there's a lot of snobbishness at play here, yeah. which I just think is pretty rank, to be honest. I also think that, as I said, I think it's the opposite of true intellectualism. That's the irony. I think people who who was who poo poo his efforts think of themselves as intellectuals but actually true intellectuals don't want only a certain amount of people who can speak a certain jargon and who have certain credentials or have read a certain amount of the same articles or the same books to be part of the conversation i've never met a proper intellectual who only wants to talk to people in their echelon of expertise i know we talk about him a lot and we are in danger of him basically replacing Tina Brown as the patron saint of the high low. But John Ronson, for me, is such a bastion of modern day intellectualism. And I would love to be a little bit more like him. Genuinely curious, genuinely inclusive, always striving to be non-judgmental and always wanting to listen and understand. You know what my takeaway from this topic is? Be more Neville. Mm. Ignore the critics who refuse to show anything other than utterly woke answers. Ask silly questions in order to learn more. Make yourself fallible. Open yourself wholly to learning, whether you're 57, 77, 17 or 7. I couldn't agree more. Support for the Hilo comes from Treatwell. You can browse your local salons online, find the best deals and book your treatment on the website or via the app. 
It couldn't be easier. Treatwell is the brighter way to book beauty. It's simpler, it's easier, it's smarter. And you can choose your salon by browsing within your budget or looking at user reviews. You can book hair, nails, massages, hair removal, facials, spa days and breaks quickly, 24-7 and on the go. It's great for discretion when you don't fancy booking your bikini wax on the phone while you're on a quiet train carriage. You can also save up to 50% if you book off-peak appointment times or book last minute. I'm feeling some springtime vibes with my beauty routine. Me too. I'm thinking I might do daffodil coloured nails, yellow and orange. There's daffodils everywhere. That's not a colour combo for the faint-hearted, is it? Lucky I'm not faint-hearted, Dolly. Don't forget to use our exclusive discount code HIGHLOW10, H-I-G-H-L-O-W and the number 10 to get £10 off your first order. Thank you very much to Treatwell for keeping the HIGHLOW's nails jaunty. Young people are officially more lonely than OAPs. A landmark new study has revealed that 16 to 26 year olds are more chronically lonely than any other age group. In January, Theresa May described loneliness as a sad reality of modern life for too many people, after it was revealed that 9 million people felt lonely sometimes or always. She appointed a Minister for Loneliness, Tracy Crouch, an appointment which we previously covered on the high-low, and she also called for an investigation which was published by the Office of National Statistics this week. The report revealed that 5% of those aged 16 and over in England reported feeling lonely often or all of the time in 2016 to 2017, while 16% felt lonely sometimes and 24% occasionally. Compared with all the other age groups, those aged 16 to 24 were significantly more likely to report feeling lonely. The youngest respondents were also the least likely to state that they had never experienced loneliness. The findings of this report completely confounds all that we have societally believed about loneliness and about older people being more physically isolated and therefore lonelier than any other age group. Dolly, are you surprised to hear this? Do you know, I'm not really. It's something I've been thinking about more and more, about how we're a generation of people who I think often fool themselves into thinking that we're closer to people and more connected to people than we actually are. Cal Strode, a spokesman for the Mental Health Foundation, said that loneliness is not necessarily down to a lack of people. This is particularly true of the digital world where teens can have thousands of friends online and yet feel unsupported and isolated. Yeah, it's, I mean, it is hackneyed, that, but it is hackneyed for a reason. Also, anyone at home playing the high-low drinking game, you just get to take two shots for two hackneyed. <laughs> I think it, you're right, it's a point made so often, it's sort of wheeled out. But the what I don't feel like is, is necessarily then said a lot after that is that the reason why it, t- teens can have thousands of friends online and yet feel unsupported and isolated is because online friendship is incredibly flimsy. Mm. It's obviously just words and we mm. all know that words are rarely as meaningful as actions. So it's a um, incredibly fractious and flimsy and artificial uh, social life to have. But Cal- also it doesn't nurture you as well. Physical touch nurtures you. Someone laughing at your joke nurtures you. Well, I remember the last time we talked about this, I think either we mentioned or I read that one of the really damaging things is that when you're at the bus stop now, instead of talking to someone else in the queue for the bus, you are checking social media on your telephone. Yeah. So you're missing out on these tiny and seemingly insignificant but actually vital daily micro interactions 
Campaigners are calling for the return of youth clubs. Do you think teenagers will find these a bit too cheesy? I'm just not sure if as a teenager I'd have gone to a youth club. I've got to change the name. It can't be called a youth well, club. Well, the thing is, is this kind of community-driven activity is so rewarding. Mm. I've actually just moved and I'm already finding the sense of community in my new area really rewarding and feel good. Yeah, it does feel good. And that's, you know, I think also we've got to a point that's quite dangerous culturally where our generation, I think, we, we fetishise shutting the world out and cutting ourselves off. And I think it's self-care gone wrong. And I think it's Netflix culture as well. I think that there are all these memes that I see all the time now on Instagram that you and I always <laughs> always tag each other in, of like a chihuahua in a luxurious bubble bath with a swimming, with a swimming cap on alone being like me telling my friends that I'm I'm late for the party or whatever like just scoffing at, well that piece know. of art I gave you oh that yeah girl turning up late to a party sorry I'm late I didn't want to come and I said this is you darling. well you do know that's me um but there's I saw a really interesting exchange about this very topic on Twitter the other day between the journalist Caroline O'Donoghue and Marie Leconte so Caroline tweeted, is it just me or has the whole God, don't we love it when we cancel plans last minute so we can sit inside and watch Netflix, love you babes thing got really old. Then I tagged Marie in the thread because I said, I know mm. Marie has some interesting thoughts on this. And Marie said, hello, yes it is. I have VV strong feelings on this. Too long, didn't read. If you're an indoorsy person, that's fine, but then don't make plans. These memes have gone past the to be encouraged, everyone needs MH days and straight into I dislike my friends and respect them so little, I'll cancel on them because I'm a lazy child. Like you made plans, but turns out that on the day you can't really be bothered. That sucks. We've all been there, but you have a commitment and if you're not capable of honouring it, then you don't deserve friends who want to hang out with you. Oh, Dolly, you know where I lie on friend flakery. And then her final tweet that I really made me think, actually, and it's mm-hmm. the reason why I went out for a drink last night, even though I just wanted to stay in. She said, also, sorry, I'm on a roll now, but doing things is good. I don't want to live in a society where we fetishise doing nothing, yeah. especially for people who live in big cities. Mate, you're paying £1 million a month in rent. Go enjoy London, for God's sake. A close friend of mine commented the other day that celebrity has replaced community. Do you think this is true? Do you think that teenagers are spending their time alone looking at Chris Hemsworth on Snapchat or liking Kim Kardashian's pictures on Instagram rather than sitting in the park with their mates drinking a Diet Coke? I don't know who Chris Hemsworth is, but that's for another time, isn't it? Oh, dear God. Moving on. Um, Yeah, I do think that's sad because I think that those moments of utter boredom that I had in my teenage years were the moments of great bonding. Suburban boredom. Suborden. Suborden. Was great bonding with with girls that I'm still friends with because you sort of go to these mad realms of conversation and you interact in, in a really quite radical way I think and and it would be sad to lose that well that's an argument now for kind of iPad culture in young children is that young children don't know how to be bored anymore they can't tolerate boredom mm. because they're so used to getting to watch Peppa Pig on the iPad the moment there's any kind of down moment yeah. and I can imagine being that parent myself sort of oh, nervously Peppa thinking Peppa Pig ears are coming for you nerv- my best friend who's got a toddler actually whispers it even when her toddler's not around because of this like fear that the Peppa Pig you know outbreak will begin but I can imagine you know having a toddler being like oh my god what am I going to do to entertain them I'm in a room with nothing Mm. I'll give them Peppa Pig but I always remember and I said to my mama 
I always remember when we used to go to Scotland and she would make me go fishing in a little green boat for eight hours straight and I would dread it because I would be so damn bored mm. trout fishing for eight hours but it was such an important lesson or being the youngest in the family being made to sit at a three hour long dinner when all I liked was the bread roll and I ate the bread roll in the first five minutes but they're so formative mm. you have to learn to be bored mm. you have to learn to be able to to tolerate that as just a rudimentary part of life but also be creative with your thoughts and creative with your conversation and, and find ways of entertaining your th- yourself through finding out about the person sitting opposite you or on the playground wall do you know what I think we as sound well? so old no do you know what I think now as well and I feel like this is dying out is my whole thing used to be that you cannot call a friend a real true friend rather than just an acquaintance who you really like until they know the names of all your brothers and sisters and how many brothers and sisters you have if you don't know the names of someone's brothers and sisters, then they're not a true real friend. You can really like them, but they're not a true real friend. And I think we're getting to the point now where people don't know brothers and sisters. It's a very stringent rule. Do you not like my rule? Do you not think it works? I don't apply, I don't agree with that rule, but I do think it's... I see where you're coming from. Interesting. What's your rule then? Do you have like one I, thing... I don't really have a rule. <laughs> well, I think that's because you don't have any true friends. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the report also revealed that girls are more lonely than boys. Why do you think that is? I was thinking about this. I do think, sadly, it's just that girls have more reason to feel, especially when they're very young, uh, have reason more reason to feel inadequate and maybe more socially insecure. Yes, I, I think, agree with probably. that. None of this is totally new information. Relate last year suggested that teenagers were the loneliest ever generation. Uh, though Mental Health Org maintains rather than 16 to 24, it was a more sort of generalised age um, of 18 to 35. So there's some discrepancy there. There's been various studies, although this new one by the Office of National Statistics is obviously a very large mm. um, governmentally ordained um, report. The thing is, is, this is the hardest demographic to help. I'm really interested to see how the Minister for Loneliness plans to tackle it. Trying to get a teen off their phone. Yeah. I mean, good luck. Tracy Crouch, who is the Minister for Loneliness, hasn't commented on the new research. I had a little look on her Twitter. But her Twitter account does show a woman doing an impressive amount of work on the ground. She's currently doing a regional tour of Joe Cox's constituency, visiting sports clubs and other venues and doing talks. I also really like her hashtag, incidentally, which is hashtag Crouch on Tour. <laughs> now time for ask the hilo a quick fire round so this is from sophie wilkinson what's the thing pandora is most enjoying food wise to prop up the boob banquet oh same old babes cake and chocolate apparently the best for milk production i have no idea oh, why i know this bullshit. i know what you're gonna say flapjacks oh no people keep on being like eat loads of chocolate it's good for milk production it's total tosh but luckily i love chocolate and flapjacks <laughs> and cake so give it all to me <laughs> at sophie bell says Favourite podcast other than the Hilo, as I'm about to run out of your back catalogue and need something to fill the void when catching up with you in real time. Help. I'm surprised you're even asking, because obviously Dolly's going to say Desert Island Discs or the Adam Buxton podcast. Or WTF with Mark Marin. Long Form. Table Manners with Jesse Ware. I like anything that the New Yorker make. I find New Yorker does great ones. Really educational as well. Um, I also really enjoy Get It Off Your Breasts with Liana Bird and Emma Gannon. Hopefully there's a smorgasbord for you there. At Clara with an H, 
1-I-I. Oh, God, that's a mystery. I thought that. Slouching Towards Bethlehem or The Year of Magical Thinking? I haven't read Slouching. Is that a book? Yes, Joan Didion. So these are both books by... whispering like Alexa. (laughs) (laughs) These are both books by uh, Joan Didion. Slouching Towards Bethlehem is a collection of essays and The Year of Magical Thinking. I think you have read which is a memoir about... Mm. I read the Grief. second one. I hadn't heard of um, Slouching Towards Bethlehem, actually. Oh, you love Is it short stories, then? No, it's essays. It's essays? Her, yeah. Okay, also also love. I'm going to read Slouching Towards Bethlehem and get back to you in possibly 2021 currently. I'll do my best. At Holly Rosie Q. Women who you think are currently ruling the world, brackets, doing their best. God, lots of women we mentioned on this podcast, actually. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand. I think she's pretty awesome. Um, I really like everything Michelle Obama is doing. Frances McDormand. Frances McDormand. Uh, who else? Emma Thompson. Uh, the creator of Me Too, Tarana Burke. Leila Hussein, um, FGM campaigner who I really admire the work of. I mean, we could go on and on, to be honest. Nimco Ali as well. But, but uh, presiding Jess over Phillips. all of them. Jess, Jess Phillips, Phillips, MP Jess Phillips. But presiding over all of them for me has to be the Queen GC. <laughs> Gemma Collins. And on that note... Thank you to everyone who listened to The Hilo. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. You can email us, thehiloshow at gmail.com. But as really succinctly mentioned at the top of this podcast, we won't necessarily have time to get back to you. But we do love when you email us. We do. Please don't be put off. We particularly love when you create an entire email domain name around a body part. (laughs) Yes, we're talking to you, bell button. More of that, please. You can also tweet us at The Hilo Show. Bye-bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.